You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. It was a little over a month, a month ago I first brought up this image and asked if anyone was familiar with it. When you look at the image, there are all types of emotions. Like there is frustration, there is anger. There are statements that are made with images like this. That I could walk faster than this, right? Because an image like this is causing us, it's forcing us to slow down. I think all of us could agree that there are moments in life that are just like that image. Because not all weeks are created equal. Some weeks in particular stand out. Some weeks really, really slow down. Maybe it was a routine physical for some of you in this room that ended up being not so routine. There were tests, they found out there's blockage. And immediately around the corner for you or someone you love, there's a bypass. Maybe it was a diagnosis. And suddenly what was supposed to be a routine week is not so routine after all. Maybe it's someone in this room that's desperately looking for a new job. You're miserable with the one that you've got. And it seems like trying to find a new job has just been put on hold. Every every person that you reach out to, every new resume that you send, it's like there is no follow-up. Everything has slowed down. Maybe it's the birth of a first child or another child, and life is completely different when you get home. Total change. Your world's been flipped upside down. You're losing sleep. You're thinking, man, I've never done this before. And in the moment, you're thinking, I don't know if I ever want to do this again, right? Some weeks, we're just forced to slow down. Perhaps it's a hospital stay. Maybe it's after the death of somebody that you love. Maybe you're waiting on tests, it's a crisis, it's a tragedy, or it's after, after a spouse has broken their trust with you again. Not all weeks are equal. Some weeks really stand out, and some weeks really, really slow down. As we've gone through this series, Jesus entered Jerusalem on Sunday, and he was executed on Friday. We've been looking at the account through the Gospel of Mark. There's four accounts in the life death and resurrection of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in Mark. Mark has 16 chapters. The first 10 chapters are really fast. They cover three years of Jesus' life. It's like occurrence after occurrence after occurrence, chapters 1 through 10. But Mark gets to chapter 11, it's like he puts his foot on the brake. He forces us to slow down, whereas chapters 1 through 10 cover three years. Chapters 11 through 16, they cover just eight days. And we've spent time on each of those days throughout this month, forced to slow down and examine what took place in the life of Jesus in that window of time. Now we come to Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And today is all about the power of being present, the gift of simply showing up, the beauty of being there. In today's message, we're going to spend time looking at the faithfulness of three women. Three women, and we're given their names in Mark's accounts. Their names are Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. Not only are these ladies mentioned like on Easter Sunday morning at the tomb, they're also mentioned three different times. And here's what's crazy. Mark doesn't let them show up until Mark chapter 15 and a half. And from Mark chapter 15 and a half to Mark 16, these three show up together three different times, back to back to back. At the cross, at the burial, and at the tomb. And as we watch them and their choice to be present 
on those three settings, we're reminded about the power of our choice to be present in our little world on any given day, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week, even when we're forced to slow down. You see, when we look at the these women in these three different locations, you'll discover that they are present, they are connected, and they are engaged. Contrast that with the 12 followers of Jesus called the disciples. They are absent, they are disconnected, and they are disengaged. As we walk through this story today, I want you to consider the implications on what it looks like for you to be present. And by all means, I do have an agenda. Today, during the message, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, I want you to consider this question throughout the message. Is there an area of your life where God is prompting you to be present? Is there an area of your life that God is prompting you to be more present? Perhaps it's with family. There's someone in particular that you've written off, you've given up on, you've developed a disdain for, and it's been too long. You've tried before, and it never seems to work out. Maybe you should be more present. Maybe it's a friendship. Someone that you love, they're going through a crisis, a tragedy, and borderline depression, and now more than ever, they need your presence. Maybe it's at work where you've slowly started to check out because you're miserable. And you're reminded as a follower of Jesus, Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, even work, do it with all your might as unto God. But there's a part of you that's just been absent. Maybe it's your time with Jesus. That time where you're quiet, you're alone, you're isolated, you're in a chair, and you make time for him on a daily basis, but it's been absent. And today, you're called back to be present, to to read, to listen, to write, and to change. Or maybe it's time again to be present at the local church. On behalf of Sundays, like you've had the best intentions, but it is always so tough. Something always comes up. We're all busy. And online is so easy. But not only do you need the presence of the local church, I'm telling you, the people of the local church need your presence as well. So here's a question to consider today. What if there are seasons of life that we all find ourselves checked out? And Jesus wants you to consider what it looks like today to check back in. I want us to look at these three ladies at three different locations. Number one, they're present at the cross. The way the story unfolds in Mark chapter 15, verse 40, some women were watching from a distance at the foot of the cross. And there's a large crowd at the cross, but Mark focuses in on some women. But then in particular, he presses in in the next verse in the middle of the women. Listen to this. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome. Here they are for the first time together. They're present at the cross. They are present when they watch soldiers toss dice. They are present when they watch soldiers divide up his clothes. They are present as they watch Jesus hanging there, criticized, mocked, and cursed. They are present in the middle of the day at noon when the sky grows dark. They are present and they feel a chill in the air. They are present when they hear Jesus cry out a fulfilled prophecy from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These women are present at 3 p.m., And they watch him take his last breath. They are present to watch him die. Understand this. We are not told they did anything, but we are told that they are there. That's the power of being present. 
And I believe from the bottom of my heart, these women were present at the cross because they were in the habit of being present with Jesus for the three years of his ministry. The next verse gives us details of their presence during the three-year ministry of Jesus. Listen to verse 41 of Mark 15. In Galilee, these women, they followed him and they cared for his needs. Well, Galilee's like way up north and that's where Jesus did most of, most of his ministry. Uh, Jerusalem's to the south. And what Mark is saying is these women, they followed Jesus around up north during the ministry and they cared for his needs. So you got to ask the question, okay, what exactly did they do? The answer is whatever Jesus needed them to do. It could have been logistical support. It could have been financial support. There's a strong indication in the gospel accounts that Jesus had a group of followers that helped fund the ministry. I mean, think about it. In the gospel accounts, when Jesus went to find 12 disciples and he called them out, guess what those 12 disciples did? They left their day jobs. There came a point in the ministry when these 12, Jesus would send them out in pairs. He would say, you two go here, you two go there. And he split them up into six different groups. And he gave them instructions. These were his instructions. He gave them the authority to teach about him. And he gave them the authority to heal in his name. And on behalf of the authority to heal, Jesus told them this. When you heal someone, do not receive any money in return. So I'm, in spite of what you have heard or seen, understand this, according to Jesus, miracles are not for sale. In other words, the ministry of Jesus was not about generating income. The goal was not a financial profit. So if the 12 disciples and Jesus showed up at your house in your little town, chances are there were followers of Jesus that were provi providing meals, logistical support, financial support. And that is probably what these women were doing. But understand this. The power of being present is a gift of your presence. And we've all seen this. Consider a wedding. When the bride is walked down the aisle by an uncle, a stepdad, or a brother. Because the dad is absent. Whether for a long time or recently. And that uncle decides to step up and to step in. I'm telling you, the power of being present is a gift of your presence. Almost five years ago, our family went through a series of stuff. Uh, Jenny went through surgeries and treatments, and one surgery in particular um, was over 14 hours long. And I know when you guys see me up here, you think, oh, that guy's got to be an extrovert. I'm really not. I'm pretty introverted. And at the hospital, like, I chose to hide in hallways. I just didn't want to talk to people. I, there was a season in the middle of those surgeries where like I hadn't eaten in days and my knees were weak that couldn't hold me up. And I'll never forget walking around a corner and seeing some of my best friends. They showed up and they didn't speak up. They forced me to eat up. I'm telling you, the power of being present is the gift of your presence. We have Parents in here and grandparents in here, and on behalf of your kids and your grandkids, you travel to sporting events, concerts, and recitals. Parents and grandparents, your schedules are busy. You take work home with you. You're always behind. You're sacrificing time when you go. You drive 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, and that's just one way to get there. And by the time you get there, your child, your grandchild isn't even playing that much. They don't have a significant role. I'm telling you, the power of being present 
is the gift of your presence. You go to a funeral. You spend time in a line, and it feels like the line never moves. You embrace awkward moments heading through the line just to get to a 10-second hug and look someone in the eyes and tell them, I'm really sorry. And they follow up with, thank you for being here with more awkward silence. Understand, you don't have to do anything. It's the power of being present. It is the gift of your presence. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome. We're not sure what they did at the cross, but we are told they were there. That's the power of being present. And while they're there at the cross, they watch a very courageous man. His name is Joseph of Arimathea. He climbs up and grabs the body of Jesus, claims the body, and takes it and places it in a tomb. And now we see these women, not just at the cross, but now we see them present at the burial. In Mark's gospel, this is the first time that Joseph of Arimathea shows up too. Listen to verse 43. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, meaning the Jewish Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, meaning he decided to follow Jesus. He went boldly to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body. Guys, this took so much courage because Jesus, who had been crucified, was an enemy of the state. And for, for, for Joseph of Arimathea to go to Pontius Pilate and to claim the body, that meant he was closely associating himself with Jesus, the enemy of the state. And because of that, that's why Mark tells us in the gospel that he boldly approaches Pilate. And these ladies are watching Joseph of Arimathea as he boldly re- requests the body. In the verses that follow, I won't read all of them in their entirety, but I will show you the verbs. This is what Joseph of Arimathea did. He went, he asked, he bought, he took, he wrapped, he placed, he rolled. He went to Pilate. He asked for the body. He bought spices. He took the body. He wrapped the body. He placed the body in a tomb. And he rolled a stone in front of it. You say, okay, that's great. Well, there's something you should know. This was not his job. Consider this. Ten chapters earlier in the same book of Mark, John the baptizer, the cousin of Jesus, he's killed. It's another crisis, another tragedy. A different death, another execution. He is put to death by Herod Antipas. Watch what happens after John the baptizer dies. Mark 6, 29, on hearing of this, John the baptizer's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Meaning as soon as they heard about John's death, the ones that were getting mentored by John, they went and claimed the body. They prepared the body for burial to which we should be expecting Jesus' disciples to do the same thing for Jesus, but they're a no-show. And so Joseph of Arimathea steps up And he steps in. I have a confession to make. It's not just the disciples that keep checking out at the wrong time. Everyone in this room, myself included, have a tendency of checking out at the wrong time. We've got the same propensity. Like if you stop and think about it, and you're insightful and you're honest, there are moments where you checked out. There are seasons of life where you too checked out. 
And today you carry a little bit of regret, shame, and embarrassment. There's all types of reasons we check out. We check out because we've been hurt and we don't want to be hurt again. We check out emotionally. We check out physically. We check out by numbing ourselves. We distract ourselves by staying busy or we flat out just get lazy. We check out because we're disillusioned by people. We're disillusioned by ourselves. We're disillusioned by some previous bad church experience. And we make a statement, who in the world are we kidding? Why do I even try? And we join the ranks. We join the ranks of the chronically critical and cynical. Some of us check out because we're just flat out confused. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to respond. We we had no idea how to fix it. The chaos and confusion of a crisis left us crippled. And some of us check out because we're afraid. This is why the disciples checked out. Rome was in charge. Rome killed Jesus. But the religious leaders pulled the trigger. And the disciples thought if they aligned with Jesus and grabbed the body, they might be next. Because from a distance, they saw those swollen eyes, the cracked lips. And last week, I got carried away and said broken ribs, but it was the bruised ribs because not a bone in his body was broken. They too were afraid. Understand, we all check out because we're hurt, we're disillusioned, we're confused, and we're afraid. Some of you could say, you know what, Tim, that's me, I've I've checked out. What if you've checked out and God is calling you today to check back in? It's the power of being present. And Joseph of Arimathea is present. He's engaged. He's connected. It explains those verbs. He went, he asked, he bought, he took, he wrapped, he placed, and he rolled. And the reason it's so significant is because there were a group of women that were watching him do everything. These three ladies, they're watching his every move. They're taking notes. They even wrote down the location of the tomb. Listen to verse 47. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, they saw where he was laid. And Salome isn't mentioned here, but they tell Salome because Salome eventually shows up at the tomb. But because of these these two, Salome will be there. And since they are present at the burial, watching Joseph of Arimathea, they will be present at the tomb. So these three ladies and the power of being present, they're present at the cross. They're present at the burial. And now Mark lets us know they were the first present at the tomb. Mark 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, they bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Consider this. Jesus is executed on Friday. The Jewish Sabbath is Saturday. So it's early Sunday morning. First thing Sunday morning, the sun has not yet risen. Most of Jerusalem is still asleep. These three ladies wake up. They grab the spices that they purchased and they leave the house. They walk down the narrow street in Jerusalem. They open a city gate. And they walk down a path to the tomb. It doesn't take a lot of, a lot of imagination to think through their current emotional condition. These women are wrecked. They're sleep deprived. They're traumatized. They have puffy eyes from crying. I can't help but wonder how they are functioning. But consider this. In their desperate emotional condition, 
They chose to walk to the tomb together. It's the power of being present together. And as they're walking to the tomb, they ask a very significant question. How are we going to get in there? Because earlier when they saw Joseph of Arimathea take down the body and prepare the body for burial, they saw him place him in a tomb and a stone was rolled in front of the tomb. It drops into a groove and they're thinking, there is absolutely no way we can move the stone. They make this statement. They ask each other, verse 3, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? I think this is very important. They don't say how. They say who. I've got an idea. How about those 12 guys closest to Jesus? Where are they? Doggone it, some of them were fishermen. They had years worth of strength and conditioning from pulling in nets. Where are the disciples? I mean, they're gone, right? The question that these women ask each other, if Understand, so often when they're asking who, it reminds us who's hiding. And I don't mean this bad, but I'm just going to make a few statements. If I was Jesus, I would do a reorg. He's got serious infrastructure issues. It's time to rebuild. He needs some more reliable guys, right? I mean, think about this. The message that we're listening to, do, listening to today is on the shoulders of 12 guys that he's trusting and they're gone. Back to the lady's question, who will move the stone? They get closer to the tomb. The sun is starting to rise. They look at the grave where Joseph of Arimathea placed the body. Someone already got there. That stone is is gone. You, You could just hear them say, oh no, who's been inside? What did they do? What did they take? And they run inside the tomb. Verse five, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. The other gospel accounts let us know that it's an angel. And every time in the gospel accounts someone encounters an angel, everyone responds the same way. They're afraid, rightfully so. Verse 6, the angel says, don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. And he's not here. See the place where they laid him? This is the Easter message. The one crucified is the one risen. The one dead is now alive. The one was humiliated. It's now exalted. The one who was here. He's gone. Three words. He is risen. And then the angels tell these ladies, the angels tell these ladies, and I'm telling you, this is, that part's great. It is the message. But this part is filled with grace. Probably my favorite part. The angels tell these ladies what to do. Verse 7, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you into Galilee. You'll see him just like he told you. In other words, ready? This is for us. Tell the guys who checked out it's time to check back in. 
Tell the guys that are disengaged, it's time to re-engage. Tell those guys who slipped, tripped, stumbled, and fell, it is time to get back up. Tell my friends that are absent, it's time to be present. To every person in this room today, I just want to tell you how thankful we are that today you are present. And as we read this story, and we learn from three women that were present on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we learn about the power of being present. At the cross, they saw pain, torment, agony as Jesus was crucified for the sins of humanity to make things right between you and I and God. And Saturday, on Friday, it was a day filled with pain, but then you get to Saturday. Saturday is a day of confusion. Saturday is a day of waiting for these ladies. Like for all the disciples, he's dead. They're confused. They're waiting. They've been forced to slow down all day Saturday. And then Sunday. On Sunday, when they saw the risen Savior, they had answers. They had triumph. They had hope. They had comfort. The reason I tell you this is because for the rest of your life and the rest of my life, I don't know how long we're going to live. But we will always have Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Fridays are days that are filled with pain and tragedy. We will have Saturdays that are filled with confusion and waiting and forced to slow down. And the answer to Friday and Saturday, I'm telling you, is always found on the theme of Sunday. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And let me let you in on a little secret. Often God shows his presence in unmistakable ways through the presence of his kids. That's why we do this on Sundays. We gather and we're present so that God can be present. And there is power when we are present. So I told you I had an agenda. I want to bring it back. This is for you to consider. Is there an area of your life where God is prompting you to be present, to be more present? You know, on Sundays like this, in a room like this, it's beautiful because there are all different types of people. I want to press in on the different types of people just for a second. Those in this room that are followers of Jesus, on behalf of that question, is there an area of your life, a person in your life that God is calling you to be more present? Men, women, kids? Is it with a marriage, guys, ladies? You said I do years ago, and now your absence is giving the indication that you don't anymore. What would it look like for you to be more present because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? As a follower of Christ, he's told us how we should live marriage. The same could be asked of dads and moms on behalf of kids. Same should be asked of grown kids on behalf of parents. Perhaps as a follower of Jesus today in this room, is there an area of life that God is calling you to be more present? Maybe as a follower of Jesus, you went through a tragedy, you went through a crisis, and a close friend was present for you. Is there a friend of yours that is in a crisis or a tragedy, borderline depression, and God is calling you today to be present? Or maybe it's on behalf of the local church and making Sundays a priority again. Understand, like, 
Like a Sunday morning attendance is a Saturday night decision. God is calling you to devote, again, an hour to gather on Sundays and to be present. For the followers of Jesus in the room, where is God prompting you to be more present? And then those in the room that are not yet followers. Understand the most powerful decision you can make today. It's because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You declare to Jesus that I am fully present. I am fully yours. I surrender my life to you. I believe that your death on the cross and your resurrection from the dead is my only hope for life. It's not just the greatest way to live life. It's the only way to die. And for those that are far from Jesus and intrigued or confused or you're searching, today is a chance for you to take some cues from these three ladies, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, and you to tell Jesus, I'm present. I want to surrender all of me to all of you. Today with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want you to consider, wherever your stage of life is, how is God prompting you to be present again? To be more present again. I'm telling you the best part is when the angel tells the ladies to tell the guys, hey, tell those who checked out, it's time to check back in. Tell those who slipped, tripped, stumbled, and fell and have some great regret that it's time to get back up. Tell those who have been disengaged, it's time to engage. Tell those who have been absent, it's time to be present because this is the, the beauty of grace. Dear God, we confess that we have been absent. We, have, we confess that we have been disconnected and disengaged. And so, Jesus, I pray that today's message of grace would remind us that even though we've slipped, tripped, stumbled, and fell, you're encouraging us to get back up again. God, I pray that we would find one area of life that you're prompting us to be present again. To be more present again. And I pray this in Jesus' name.